And the advice I would always give, and I do all the time to entrepreneurs is, regardless of how fast you may start out of the gate as well, you need to start thinking about what would happen if you had to pivot and pivot quickly, because it will happen. You will find yourself just wrapping your arms around these first group of customers that you have, and then thinking that you need to not double down, but quadruple down on it. Thank you for listening. This is Brett Trainer, your host for Hardwired for Growth, a podcast where we strive to help entrepreneurs and business owners not only grow their businesses, but scale them. We do this by having conversations with industry experts and the founders who have successfully scaled their own businesses. The voice you heard a moment ago is that of Kenneth Kinney. Kenneth is the host of A Shark's Perspective, which is a nationally recognized podcast with the who's who of subject matter experts and thought leaders in marketing. One of the recurring themes that I have heard throughout the first 20 plus episodes of the show is I wish I would have started marketing sooner. The reason I wanted to bring Kenneth on the show is to get his perspective on how founders should think about marketing. Questions we answer today are why do we need to invest in marketing early? how smaller companies compete with the bigger brands, why you need to have a clear marketing strategy, don't create content just to create content, and why data is critical. Now, on to the intro. Welcome back. You're listening to Hardwired for Growth a podcast dedicated to helping entrepreneurs and business owners who are looking for sustainable and scalable growth strategies, led by your host, Brett Trainer. Hey, good morning, Kenneth. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you. It's good to have you. I know we're uh, scheduling mostly on my end, so I appreciate the, uh, the flexibility and I'm super excited to, to have you on the, the show today. Um, one of the biggest questions, and I, I've only recorded 25, 26 episodes, and I know you're on, what episode are you on now in your, your podcast? Uh, 183 as of this morning, but you know. To get started, why don't you tell us what, you are, what you're working on these days? So I'm speaking at a lot of conferences. I've you know, worked in a lot of different capacities over my career. I uh, worked for brand, worked for publisher, worked for an agency, worked for a consulting firm, worked in big data. And I'm really, you know, focused on trying to help businesses grow today, similar to you, uh, offering my own, you know, flavor and really highlighting a lot of what I, I'm not going to necessarily call my own expertise, but highlighting a lot of others' expertise to help make, you know, a lot of marketers more amazing, a friend of mine often says. But I do a podcast called A Shark's Perspective that's all started based off my nickname, being shark since I was a little kid and swimming with them. Um, I worked for a wonderful agency out of New York called AI Media Group and have been with them and speaking at quite a few different conferences this year, tr- primarily focused on you know growing a business, whether it's a marketing, advertising, or entrepreneurial type effort. But it's been really drawing upon my experience in TV, digital, influencer, social, you know, whatever the the case may be. That's that's really what's helping my passion is to help give away any, any kind of information I can to make somebody else's business grow and help people perform better. Yeah, that's such a great approach. And, you know, I've, I've started doing that recent last couple of years, trying to focus more on the giving aspect and connecting and sharing with, with others that I wish, you know, could have started earlier in my career, but you know, better late than never. Right. 
Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we've got, we've got time. The, the problem, the biggest problem that I see today is that there's so many people giving opinions. I mean, we're doing it the same. So there's, there's more noise, whether you have a good opinion or bad opinion or good expertise or bad expertise, you know, the part I can play is at least I try to offer what I believe is the right expertise based off seeing so many others fail and me fail completely and miserably often you learn more from that for you know from working for brands that weren't always a list great i mean we see this all the time with with companies where you know somebody has this wonderfully great brand logo on their name and i don't know if they know anything about content marketing or you know paid search or what or influencer marketing just because they worked at apple or walmart or you know Citrix or whoever the company, I mean, any of these names, just because it's GE doesn't mean every, every person's necessarily a thought leader. So the reason I say that is we're just trying to provide great info to try to help get more focus, more knowledge, and more focus on customers where it should be, whether it's, you know, our marketing, advertising, service, solution, whatever it may be. Again, it's to try to help them, not just the brand or the agency. Yeah, that's so true. So good. And I think that's a perfect segue into why I wanted to have you as a guest on the show. One of the, when I'm interviewing founders, the number one regret, or I wish I would have done that sooner is marketing. So I thought, you know what, if it's a theme, why don't I go to the man and the expert to, to help us better understand and think about how founders and business owners should, should approach marketing and basically in a modern world. Well, you've set the bar way too high, so I want to bring everybody back down. But, uh, no, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think today in any form of business or your personal brand or anything else, you've really got to start marketing yourself early and then position yourself for the long game. I know that most entrepreneurs today you know, are still – we're still in that space where they're still a little bit too focused on their idea or their product or solution. But now it's really evolving, especially as you look at influencer marketing as well, but really creating influence in particular and providing thought leadership. I've always been a proponent of, you know, really first focused on a customer, helping people solve problems, not positioning, you know, a brand with brand babble. But when you think of where entrepreneurs today are and the, the abilities they have, you know, the gates are are down. You have the ability to build your own following without necessarily just selling something, but providing something of value, whether it's thought leadership, a product or service, it's a solution to a problem that a customer has. And they care much more about that than they ever do anything you're trying to position and sell. That's just the way we've shifted. Search may have had the biggest influence on that where people you know, started looking at an ability to go to a search engine and find a solution rather than just listening to an ad. Ads are obviously still incredibly important. And if you want to position yourself, you've got to be spending, I hate to say that, to make more money for Google. But <laughs> if you're positioning yourself correctly and it can be done correctly and aligning your messaging, mar you know, creating that message, making it consistent and everlasting, sort of evergreen in, in material or evergreen in nature and as a solution to their problem, as complex as it is, that's really important to do and to do often and early. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I love the the value play and, and the problem solving. That's one of my my mantras is, you know, what yeah. problems are you solving for the customer? How are you doing it? How are you doing it different, right? Or better, or bo- hopefully both. And, you know, taking maybe a, a, a step a little bit higher, you know, I think when people hear marketing, it's, you know, very broad, right, in terms. And one of the things that I'm seeing, and I'd love to get your perspective, is, you know, kind of the difference and the power of, of the brand and awareness and the demand generation aspect of marketing. And, you know, if I'm a founder, how do I think about approaching it? I think I know the answer, but, you know, I'd love to get your perspective on that. On, sorry, and apologies, say that again, the value of the brand itself? Well, I, I think there was, at least in my take, you know, when I was last uh, in a corporate role with, at a age, digital agency, right? You sure. could drive demand without people really knowing who your brand was. But what I'm seeing is oh, kind absolutely. of the return of brand and creating awareness for your brand prior to creating, you know, a demand gen strategy. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, we've got too many choices though today. I mean, this is not like where you had, you know, one vacuum cleaner company that owned a majority of the vertical, if you will, you know, 50 years ago. And at most you would be served two or three different vacuum cleaner salespeople. I don't know where I came up with that example, but (laughs) when you think of, uh, I don't know why Electrolux is not front and center in my mind, uh, but when you think of the number of choices that people have, there is a huge value to creating your brand for me from a directionally navigational standpoint, whether it's driving your, your content, whether you're positioning yourself on local listings or search. I mean, You've got to create a brand, though, that helps solve a problem and resonates in people's minds. And I use the example all the time, especially in the conference presentations that I do. You know, if you think of the Google example, n- nobody goes to search engine. Nobody uses the the phrase "I'm going to go Bing something." They're going to Google it. Yeah, that right. that is a that's a really important distinction that they've created. They they've created a place for people to go solve the problem, which for them is search. Maybe they're looking for, you know, unless you're looking for a local coffee house, most people are going to, you know, your Google maps and looking at Starbucks near me, not coffee house near me. And it has become a unique distinction for a lot of brands. If they can create a brand that has that power that makes you think of, you know, is it Bob's pizza shop versus pizza near me. Now, not all of them are always apropos, but when you think of it that way, there's a massive power and value to to bidding on brand and not getting caught up in, I mean, it's a race to the bottom when you're looking at um, non-brand search terms. I mean, you've got to compete right. especially, but if you're going to set yourself self up for success, you've got to, any you've got to set yourself up as a, as a niche in that mindset, if you will, not necessarily a small player, but you've right. got to look at, at it as sort of a category design. I mean, I always use the phrase as well, the riches are in the niches, a lot of this phrase that's used often, but I want to be able to, to create a brand positioning, especially in how that translates into paid search and other forms of social media. I want them to know where to where to go to find my product or service. And that's becoming more complex. We need to start thinking about not just a tagline, for example, with your brand, 
when you start thinking about how AI is looking at content marketing, for example, you can think about these complex searches that revolve around your brand and how that brand term answers those questions. So it's not just Acme Brick Company. It's, you know, Acme Brick with, it's a horrible example or, or explanation, but it's Acme Brick with the red bricks that look great on, you know, two-story houses. Those are the kinds of things that you can start positioning your brand so that it becomes the answer to a problem for them rather than just the solution that you're trying to preach to, you know, that spray and pray to the rest of the world. Right. No, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And if you, if I'm thinking about it as a, a brand that, or a startup or somebody that hasn't done a lot of marketing, that's been more focused on maybe the product and that what's, what's a good first step? I know yeah, content, right? Content is king, but it's got to be deliberate content, not just content for the sake of publishing, right? Is that where, where would you recommend a, a brand start if they were going to, you know, start taking more aggressive approaches towards exactly what you were just talking about? Strategy. And the okay. reason I say strategy is because you would be amazed. You talk to a lot of businesses that do this. I'm sure you see this quite often. I do all the time where as much as there is a rush to market, it's easier to find somebody almost that has gotten VC funding to invest in a, in a product or service than to find a really smart small business owner who's clearly defined out their strategy on where they're positioning themselves and their brand and their future. And I'm amazed by that constantly that there's enough, you know, money around to go, but it's, you know, full of the money you're lucky enough to get together in the first place is, is uh, just something that amazes me often. But honestly, the cheapest way after you've defined your strategy, you know, defined, defined your brand positioning is really uh, just creating content, but not an abundance of content. I think content shock is a massive problem. We're we're seeing this really with uh, you know it resonates across the board whether it's you know machine learning created type content or it's just your local agency created content. Just to have content out there has been such a unfortunate thing that we've seen as a result of people trying to produce content, but I don't look at content anymore with just volume. I haven't right. in years and it is, I will take somebody else's blog post, for example, and poke holes in it all day long to help solve my pro my customer's problems. And a lot of times, a lot of the people that write the content are the problem solvers. They are really smart people that work at agencies that may be, may not be tied to the business. They're telling you that you've got to produce content. We, that's true, but you got to produce content that if the end result helps solve your customer's problems. And if it's not, if it's B2B, it may be your customer's problem or their customer's end problem. That's really the solution you've got to create. But content's a first start. Anytime you can get to though, and once you've created that strategy and you've created those, those pieces, and really focused on that. I am a proponent of, of paid media because if it's done correctly, it can dramatically help you if you have the funding in place to do it. Social media is a little bit of a mix. I mean, your, your ads on paid media on paid social 
are a little bit more expensive and there's a lot of, you know, there's just a lot of noise going on right now in, in paid social, but then there should be more conversations, not more paid ads uh, on social, but that's really have that conversation with your customers, even early on developing that following, developing influence with those followers is important. And also when you get a chance start, you know, really from day one, organizing your data, the amount of dirty data <laughs> across multiple different sets, you know, there are lots of small companies that have two or three different sets of data that don't talk. And it's something as simple as getting a cheap CRM, a cheap CDP or something and just aligning your data so that it's clean and it has one consistent story, you know, from day one, whether it's your ads, your social media conversations, your data, your strategy, or anything else, that's got to be aligned from day one. So I give you a long, long-winded answer to take every bit of the part of you can, every part of your business that you can, and align it so that your messaging is clear to a customer. I use this phrase all the time, the confused buyer always says no. And everybody starts with one focus, and then they get either a little bit greedy or a little bit needy, and they start spreading themselves too thin. Your customers are not taking the time. I don't care how many agencies, how many experts you hire. Company, people are not sitting there and thinking about the 50 different complexities and siloed teams and third-party and first-party internal agencies that you have working on something. They think of your brand in one way, and that that's why they go to buy from you, leave you, or come back to you. And if I was to give advice to anybody on at any business to aggressively think in their marketing, focus on your service first because you're a lot of it's lipstick on a pig, and you're going to lose customers more quickly for that lack of service, regardless of how wonderful your marketing messaging is. So I think too often people jump straight into marketing without focusing on their strategy. And then they lose it when they start skipping out on the customer by falling on service. And it happens over and over again. I don't care what kind of product, what kind of service it is. It happens over and over. And that's why there's so much disruption. Right. Wow. There's so much good stuff in there. <laughs> I had to write down the, the various points I wanted to, to expand on a little bit, but I a hundred percent agree with you on data being key. And I, you know, the, the companies I work with, I highly encourage to set that up when they're small and then it, it can scale because, I, you know, I've been in the enterprise world as you have, and it's, it, once the data is screwed up, it's really hard to that get it horrible. cleaned. And if you're not measuring it, then how do you know if, if you're getting better? So I think a hundred percent agree with you on, on the data and getting that built out early. And then two, the other piece I really liked was the, um, basically around the customer journey, right? You can't look at it as a handshake, right? The customer's yeah. going from marketing to sales to, and if you're big enough to have customer success, the customer only, it, I think the, what, the term I've been using a lot is, you know, frictionless experience, right? And mm -hmm. I think the thing you added to that as well was, you know, consistency. 
I had interviewed a, a true chief revenue officer not too long ago. And one of the things that we were talking about, because she actually owns, you know, the sales, the marketing, the customer success. And where we went down a path was, you know, really treating your customers like prospects and your prospects like customers, right? Don't get them into the business and then forget about them. You know, and, and what stuck with me, what she said is, you know, we've had some customers, you know, probably three to five years, they may not even know what our total offering is anymore, right? Because we don't communicate with them like we did when we were trying to get them into the business. And I guess that's my take and a long-winded no, <laughs> response it's, it's, back. It's but. very true. I mean, most most entrepreneurs, when they start, they are laser focused. And it may, you know, if you, if you have, you're just launching a business and you think of it with just one customer, you've sold one deal, you are catering to them like nobody's business. I mean, you are setting out rose petals underneath their feet. You don't have to do that obviously forever and ever and ever. But one of the things that happens as people grow a little bit is you start to delineate that level of service dramatically. And then as you, then as you break out and silo those different efforts, you, you know, maybe bring on somebody through an agency to do your, um, you know, creative design or something else or your, your blog post or whatever it is. Then you start losing focus. That team is not as ingrained into your marketing messaging as you are. And that's obviously not going to, that's obviously true and will always be that way. But keeping that, you know, conversation, if you will, and thought tight is really important to helping a business grow. And I've, I've just seen this too often where even the internal teams, they're quite often that the sales team doesn't speak the same messaging as this, the C-level folks or the marketing you know, or your entrepreneur who's setting it up, who's hired a salesperson. It's very often that they've sold a different message. So that whole messaging, not just with an agency that you hire, but also with your internal sales team, uh, it wraps your customer service. You've got to be selling the same, same message. Now it doesn't have to be the exact same flavor of chocolate, but it needs to be consistently chocolate. And that's what, one of the problems that you, you see where uh, quite often that the advertisements are not aligned. For example, you've got your brand messaging is that you're, you know, 1995. And then uh, the next thing you do is you see some ad that says 50% off. And some of that can happen. Obviously you can A-B test it and see where it works and performs. However, if you're known for 1995, there's better ways of operationalizing that in order to optimize your, your ad spend, optimize your messaging, it's, again, not the perfect example, but it gives something that's consistently a way for people to remember that you are the chocolate brand. So right. I must be hungry, hungry for chocolate. <laughs> I don't know where I came up with that. Uh, you can't go wrong with chocolate. And, you know, it's interesting you said that. I had a guest on Diana Finley, who's a co-founder of a company called Interview Group. Basically, their co entire company was built to help mostly larger brands carry their message through, right? From marketing all the way to the customer service team that to your point, if they advertise something for 1995 and nobody told customer service, <laughs> exactly. know, it just, happens all the time. Exactly. And well, the perfect, fact that perfect, you can say perfect example, this is, uh, goes back to some data with, with a large company that I used to use as a service. I, Cancel their service, screamed and moaned at them on the on the phone, 
multiple times. I say probably screamed once, but I canceled <laughs> on 50 times and they wouldn't get the message. They would then, while I was telling them, I never want to hear from them again. I wanted them to remove me from every piece of email, direct mail, anything they wanted to send me. I'm getting just spam left and right. Hey, we'd love for you to come back on, you know, an email with this just automated bad messaging that was coming through consistently. And I ended up after I'd canceled them uh, 30 to 60 days after I w- and I had unsubscribed from every email that I could unsubscribe from, they were still sending me, you know, these uh-huh. bad offers trying to welcome me back. And this is a large multi-billion dollar company. And I'm sitting there thinking, how did customer service and marketing not talk to each other at all? And this is not, again, perfect example, but it, it shows you that they're not talking. They're not aligned. They're pushing me further away. It happens all the time, maybe at a much lesser scale, but subconsciously there are ways of one keeping your customers happy, but priming your customers to buy from you. And it's an upsell opportunity as well. Not just the spray and pray that, that so many right. teams don't even know that they're doing. I, you know, I've fired a company that I worked for. I fired them as a customer because of some of those same practices when I was in that team and I was, you know, screaming about some of the messaging and I, and somebody would call me and say, do you want to renew service? And I'm like, I'm, I'm down the hall. I, I've already, you know, you guys don't even know who I am. And I've, I've got an email registered in my corporate name and you're trying to upsell me and and pull me back in as a customer and everything else. And and it's just, it's amazing how misaligned that companies get quickly. And there's an opportunity for entrepreneurs to really start and keep that, that messaging and operationalize it, keep it really tight. Yeah. Keep that, the customer front and center throughout the entire business. If you start with that mentality, it's going to be much easier to Mm -hmm. sustain it versus, trying to recapture. And like I said, I, I, to your point, I think there's a huge opportunity for these smaller nimble companies that can be really customer centric without being cliche to continue to take market share from, from some of these larger companies. And I know uh, you, in some of your examples you've used in the past, I think is one of your speaking engagements talking about a national brand that had a, a third of the marketplace, but their largest competitors were mom and pops. Exactly, And that's where you can see that's, that's crazy to me that, that, so I guess flipping it around, how do you see again, that advantage for the, the smaller ankle biters, if we used to refer to them in in the corporate speak, you know, continue to take on that increased market share. So I just, I just spoke at another conference and one of the, one of the sessions that, that we spoke about, uh, one of the panel sessions was about how legacy brands, you know, should look at themselves and really sort of stand up against or compete against the the mom and pops that, that you're referencing. It's really all the entrepreneurs. And I think this is kind of apropos. Whether you're an entrepreneur, you know, starting with a with a startup or you're a legacy brand, it's really important today for me to to look at legacy differently than we did before. Every brand is competing doggedly after every brand. And unfortunately, legacy is not necessarily historical in nature. Legacy is extremely important when you think about the brand value you create. That's so important. You mean you can create so much content. 
will obviously carry some baggage, some negative PR and things like that. But when you're thinking about growing a business as an entrepreneur, one of the things that helps you compete against legacy brands is the ability to pivot that a lot of brands do not have. And when they've gotten too big, too operationally rigid, too unfocused on the customer, too siloed with their teams and their efforts, to misaligned with their marketing and brand positioning, it becomes a significant problem. And the advice I would always give, and I do all the time to entrepreneurs, is regardless of how fast you may start out of the gate as well, you need to start thinking about what would happen if you had to pivot and pivot quickly, because it will happen. You will find yourself just wrapping your arms around these first group of customers that you have and then thinking that you need to not double down, but quadruple down on it. And it can become a significant problem because that's when you get locked into not being ready to change. And what we've seen with the number of companies that start up, the number of companies that fail and you know are failing much more quickly than they used to, especially the larger legacy brands, a lot of times it's not because of their brand name, because millennials today still enjoy, a lot of studies show that millennials still enjoy a lot of legacy brands. It's because a lot of these large companies have created them, have boxed themselves into ways that they cannot pivot and compete against entrepreneurs. So entrepreneurs have to continue to take advantage of that. You're competing against somebody that has massive brand awareness, massive brand positioning, probably has 10,000 X times more money than you do to spend on any media campaign. Your advantage is to be nimble like a ninja, not some overbloated uh, sumo to use some sort of martial arts reference, but some sort of overbloated company that can't pivot because, you know, you've sunk millions of dollars or thousands of employees into an endeavor and then don't know how to change. And that is a big problem with a lot of businesses today. And you see the ones that are successful that have gone through massive pivots. I mean, look at Apple, a huge company that despite, I mean, 20 years ago, and I remember talking to Guy Kawasaki offline, but 20 years ago, it was all about the Mac computer. Right. Even when I, I don't ever, I mean, I have a Mac sitting in front of me, but I think of my iPhone a lot more often of them with brand and how they defined you know, the mobile phone world. And that's a massive pivot. You, there are a ton of examples out there like it, but look at Amazon. Amazon could be considered a legacy brand, if you will, in the e-commerce space. I use the example of Facebook. Facebook is as legacy in social media, you know, dog years as Wells Fargo is in banking. I mean, it is incredible to think that how quickly the changes are coming. But when you look at a company like Amazon in particular, they are a retailer, an e-commerce retailer that continuously pivots. I mean, who in the world would have thought even when you started noticing how amazingly convenient it is to order something by phone, you know, that you a couple of clicks and you've got something that shows up in your door in a day or two. Or in some cases, the same day. <laughs> or in the same day. And, and at the, yeah, the same day. And yeah, we'll start worrying. That's another conversation. But <laughs> once you start looking at, at that and then who in the world would have ever thought that I would have been consuming a ton of my stream content through Amazon Prime, and it's a lot of really good programming. I mean, it's just amazing how quickly some of these companies can pivot. But what they do, and, and they learn that a lot of legacy brands don't learn quickly enough, and this goes back to data, which is, again, surprising to me when the, how bad a lot of these data sets are. 
you have the ability when you're a large brand, but you have clear vision when you're an entrepreneur to be able to, to fail and fail faster. And if you look at the data, you should be able to have a clear vision. Legacy brands can pull just massively large, statistically significant amounts of data to point them in a direction, yet they still move slowly in that direction. And that's a problem for a lot of brands, and it should not be. But when people get rigid, when they become that sort of legacy by nature, it can become a problem. And I think, you know, that's, that's a significant problem and advantage for entrepreneurs today. Oh, I 100% agree. And that's right. Building that infrastructure early within the business is, is, and the infrastructure meaning processes, you don't have to go over the top early, but to get the infrastructure. So when you're ready to scale and your business starts to take off, you've already got the, the infrastructure there that you don't have to try to, you know, pave the road (laughs) as you're driving down the road is pulling out one of those analogies. But yeah, I had uh, to, to dig in a little bit on your, you know, you've mentioned riches in the niches and the ability to pivot and be nimble. One of the other themes I've heard, you know, through 20 plus episodes is the ability to focus on what you do, right? And it's very easy as you're starting to get new customers. Oh, we can do that. We can do that too. It's, it's really important to stay true to you know, the problem that you're solving. And then as you get bigger and larger, you know, double down on that and understand within that segment, who's, you know, really growing fast. And um, there's just, like I said, number, numerous examples where staying that focused, and it doesn't mean you can't pivot your messaging and others and learn from your customers, but, you know, stay true to kind of the mission, right? Agreed. No, and and focus is not one of my strong suits having ADD, but OCD helps me a lot with that, but I think a lot of people sometimes confuse focus for rigidity and they don't want to be rigid, so that's why they pivot too much. But one of the, you know, just like I was talking about with, with legacy, it happens all the time with agencies. I mean, there are very few times that you go to a creative agency, for example, in, in marketing or advertising where they can't fix every problem you've ever had. I mean, with, you know, a consulting firm with the right amount of money and the right amount of billable hours. Whatever you come to them with, they're going to come up with a solution. That's part of their business, but it also becomes a problem for entrepreneurs as they're starting any kind of business, whether it's an agency, tech play, whatever, is they overpromise and then they're, they're not at the core of what the problem was for the customer to start. They didn't answer that clearly enough. And then it just gets them into trouble when they've overstepped. And it just, it happens over and over and over with, with businesses that just are trying to position themselves as every flavor as opposed to one distinct flavor because they think that they're not going to get enough you know, market space in, again, bad analogy, but just chocolate. There's, there's enough out there. I mean, we've got hundreds of millions of people in this country alone that are, are not just going to run to your service because you're the everything fix for world hunger and world peace. It, doesn't need to necessarily be that way. You could be the ones that just provide the meals or the utensils or the plates for the ones that need that. Yeah, no, that's so good. Um, and so true. I think, but people aren't searching either for that. I mean, you've got to think most, especially in B2B, most people are trying to fix a specific problem. Most people aren't going to, for this bad analogy, they're not going to Google, help me find a solution to world peace or world hunger or whatever the, you know, that is, I mean, they are looking for, here's how I've got to fix 
this problem and I need a widget or a widget service to fix that problem. It's not that they're looking to you and just saying, help us fix all our problems. Yeah, no, and that's so true. And I think you know, just to, to double down on that a little bit too, when you think about the problem you're solving, think about it from your messaging, right? Don't lead with features and benefits that solve the problem. Talk about how you solve the problem and, and solve it differently maybe than, than other folks. And then Agreed. along those same lines, the, the that's I guess where I was going, is you get to carry that messaging through and think about it from a problem-solving aspect versus you know, we're better, we're betters. I'm sure you've got an opinion that leading with we're better than X, Y, or Z is going to gain you zero business, right? Absolutely. No. And that's, that's pretty much every LinkedIn spam message I get <laughs> as, as well as, as everybody else knows that gets them. So I, I don't yeah. find it to be a, 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 a better than being braggadocious in today's advertising world. Um, you know, if it's not, leading more customer value for them, it's not going to do anything for you. Right. And one last half, I know we're running short in time and I do appreciate you spending some time with this this morning. I want to get your, your take on, I'm seeing it grow. It was really in the software and it's referral, not referrals, but uh, reviews, right? Like G2 mm-hmm. crowd reviews software. You know, my opinion, whether you're B2B or B2C, there will be some site somewhere that's going to provide those reviews. What's your thought or what approach should these small businesses or startups consider that aspect? I mean, cause I can think, consider that part of the marketing, right? It's your messaging. It's oh, 100%. providing feedback. Uh, you know, you're going to get negative reviews. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs need to think about early. And the reason why is this, you're going to get a dissatisfied customer. It's going to happen. I'm going to talk a little bit about, you know, the the value of positive reviews, but I think a lot of people don't understand that they will get some negative reviews. It just happens. As wonderful as Amazon's shipping services to my house, there have been times where where it's upset me as well, despite, you know, and how wonderful iPhone is as a phone. There have been plenty of times where people have left them bad reviews. Sure. It affects a lot of small businesses who thinks that think the sky is falling when they see these reviews. You'll get, I've worked for a large brand that, you know, had millions of customers where competitors were posting negative reviews just to undercut them. It happens all the time. And I think you mentally got to be prepared for that because the more that we've opened the gates to the internet, the more of these sites that sprout up, there are wonderful books on understanding how to, you know, Jay Bayer's Hug Your Haters and things like that that help you address that, that inner core problem that you have with your customers. But you've just mentally got to be prepared to look at your service, accept it for what it is. Not everybody's rushing to give you a five-star review as much as you'd love to, to, to push that. And reviews are extremely important in any business. But think about, again, what consumers are saying, honestly saying about your business, really hone in on those long tail, uh, you know, sorry, longer described uh, reviews, not just the short ones that say they're great or they suck. You've really got to look at the ones that offer descriptive value that I think will help you understand what your problem is or is not. And and I that's something that I've uh, found having worked with a lot of review companies over the years and really seen this massively sprout up is there are 
an abundance of haters. There are abundance of, of bots that are haters. But, you know, if you become tone deaf, it can massively become a problem. So don't just look for the ones that are positive or negative, but really the ones that are more descriptively positive or negative, because it will help you really position yourself and your brand to, to move forward. And then if you have an abundance of positive reviews, you need to market it heavily. There is some discounting. I think that people go when they go look at this, you know, grouping of all the reviews on one site, but collectively a large group of positive reviews sends a message to any customer. I mean, you have to think of reviews to me. It's an easier way for us as business people to think more as consumers because what would I write? What would I buy? You know, how do I look at Amazon reviews? For example, when I go to buy a product, do I really look at them closely or not? I mean, start questioning that and that will help give you some sort of clarification when you're looking at reviews. It's not a one-stop shop answer. It is just a, it depends on your product or service and how many reviews you get and how descriptive they are. Right. No, and I think that's 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 great advice that there is so much power in the negative, you know, because people are either if it's perceived or real, I mean, perception is reality. So learn from what your customers are saying. And, you know, I don't want to say embrace the hate, but yeah. <laughs> embrace the learning from from what they're they're sharing with you and don't don't hide from it. So excellent. All right. I think that's a great point to close. What I'd like to do is now close with our closing time segment gives the audience a chance to get to know you a little bit. And what I'd like to do, I'm going to ask you two, uh, they're not rapid fire, semi rapid fire questions. So when you're ready, let me know. Do it. Let's do it. All right. All right. What is one thing you would highly recommend? Swimming with sharks, which is my personal passion. It is, uh, I've been doing it since I was a little child and I am just a fanatic for the ocean for shark conservation it is. It will help you appreciate the value of the ocean. It will help you appreciate how beautiful sharks are. They're not these, you know, mindless creatures that most people think they are. I mean, I saw a great white fairly close when I was very young, and and it will help you develop a lack of fear type mindset. At least for me. I've still got friends who, you know, would see baby shark and start screaming if it came up <laughs> close to them. But it's my happy place is to, uh, to be in the ocean and the water away from texting, email, phone calls. I don't like to take tech into the water when I scuba dive. Uh, I'm not somebody, I, mean, I just saw a friend that had a camera that she took to a scuba and it had a thousand pictures in there. I said, well, when did you stop to enjoy the moment? You know, and, right. and, and it's just for me being in the water, being in the, in the water with a coral and the fish and, and the beauty of sharks is uh, something that's very odd to most people, but I find it to be very relaxing in my happy space. Uh, I think that's great advice. Jaws may have ruined me from shark diving, but I know I, I agree. I, and actually, a little bit off topic, I think I saw a video within the last couple of days that they had on film the largest great white shark ever recorded. That thing Ocean Ramsey. Yeah, Ocean Ramsey, uh, who just wrote a really good book uh, that I've got called What You Should Know About Sharks. She is a ocean conservationist in Hawaii. She's a, a really smart lady who does some brilliant work, swims a lot with whale sharks, not a ton of uh, great whites in Hawaii, but 
she swam with what they think to be Big Blue, and she was interviewed with a uh, 50, what they believe was a 50-year-old pregnant shark. So it is a massively large, I mean, it's a bus with teeth, but they're not the, you know, attack monsters that most people think they are. You have to be careful of them. You're in their territory. A bull shark in particular has more testosterone of any animal in the world, but it is not just some, you know, mindless drone that's that's, uh, looking to attack. I think if anything, it's kind of a marketing messaging for for me as well. Is that I always tell people that they've they've got to be curious. And sharks, by nature, especially bulls and tigers, are very curious by nature. That's what also gets a lot of people into trouble. But it it also helps you continuous you know continue to be a a subject matter learner than rather than just think of yourself as a subject matter expert. So yeah, how about that for a 45 minute answer on show? That was awesome. No, but it's so much great advice, right? It Always be learning. It was Jawson. Jawson. There we go. All right. And last one for you, and then, then I'll let you go is if you can only have one more beverage, kind of think of it as your last meal of beverages, what would it be? Dealer's choice, but I'd probably go somewhere in between a really good whiskey sour without egg white with Jack whiskey. That's or, a unique, no, or, okay. Or <laughs> a really good, with good tequila, but a lime margarita with sugar on the rim, not salt, Ooh, uh, that has plenty of tequila, not one of these watered down, you know, Applebee's type drinks. <laughs> uh, we've got it from sharks to Applebee's. I love it. <laughs> exactly. I can't, can't say I, I disagree with you. So, all right. And just lastly, if anyone's interested in learning more about you, I know you've got the, the podcast, you've got some video of your speaking, you know, work it. What's the best way for people to reach out to you? Best way is for people to email me, Kenneth at a sharks perspective.com. And my podcast is a sharks perspective. It draws on my hundred years of experience in hundred years. It's been a long time since I was a millennial. But it's my, my experience in marketing and advertising from digital to TV to direct response and so forth. But I work for a wonderful company called AI Media Group in the performance marketing space you know, where we have a, you know, really look at the full funnel of, of attribution and, and how you use that to optimize in real time your ad spend. So that's been really a blessing. But I've, I've had experience as a publisher as a as an agency as with a brand as a consultant and in data so i bring a what i love to call a different perspective or a sharks perspective to the uh, conversation and uh, just helps me at least look at things a little bit differently than what i've traditionally been taught to do so i try to do do that and that's why we had you on the show um, because of that perspective. And two, I think one, I would highly recommend people check out Kenneth's podcast. It is one of my go-to listens and it, you, you bring different perspectives from different people, your learnings. It's a, uh, it's really interesting podcast. So please oh, appreciate that. check it out. No, I'm so. a big fan of yours as well. So I appreciate it. I thought you were just bringing me on because you wanted to have a one at least one shark reference on your show but but you, <laughs> you know what the bebo guy so I, yeah, yeah. That, so. he was he was really good and honest too i appreciated his um his you know it was i know you've got to jump but he, his perspective of look i really enjoy just building things i don't want to manage people i don't want to run a big company so i'll get it to a point and i'm going to move on so exactly I appreciated that. All right, Kenneth. Well, I really appreciate your time today. Look forward to catching up with you in the future and you know, have a great rest of your day. 
You've been listening to Hardwired for Growth. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player or visit brettrainer.com. That's B-R-E-T-T, followed by his last name, T-R-A-I-N-O-R.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.